without awareness, it's hard to be everything else, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're aware you can be courteous, you can be diplomatic, you can be kind, you can show empathy. Like if you, if you don't have awareness, then you can't do all those things because they require an awareness in the first place of what does this moment need or what's happening in this moment. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies, boys and girls, everybody in between, this <laughs> is the Uncovered Podcast with Nick and Femi. Let me hear you make some noise. <laughs> now, what's going on, people? This is Femi from the Uncovered Podcast. Uh, what is going on, Nick? How are you, hey, bro? what is going on, people? It's your boy, Nick. And, you know, I'm doing well, man. I'm feeling good. I'm pumped, you know. Back doing these podcasts live, which I'm so excited about. Yes, These COVID restrictions yes. are easy, and so we're back to bring the heat. Yes. Uh, <laughs> 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 Anything Nick says is just hilarious, yes. to be honest. Like, I'm just a funny guy. It's crazy. Oh. No, but I'm not. <laughs> Uh, we'll get we'll get more familiar with the noises as we go along this show, but it's not about the noises today. It's not. It's about something much more important. Hundred percent. Something much more impactful, actually. Ooh, it's a big word. It is. How many letters? I'm not convinced it's a word. Ooh, there's an argument about this. It's online. It's online. You can look up this argument about impactful, about whether it's a word or not. Where's your stance? Yeah, well, I think it was invented by marketers. I think it's now a word because everyone says it, but it wasn't before. But isn't that like every Our word? Every word. <laughs> As you can tell, we have an extremely intelligent man on the, on the show today. And he, so pretty much everything Nick says is going to be challenged. Um, so, but look, how do we, look, this, I want this one to be a nice intro. A nice one. We do a lot of silly intros, but this one is actually someone that has had impact on the world, right? (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) We have someone that is, um, you know, the founder, chief innovation officer Mm. of a quite, it's a quite innovative um, uh, way of doing things in in this industry, right? Like, so this is, Nick, what would you call it? A digital mortgage service, right? I think that's the best way to put it, simply. Simply, exactly, right? If you don't know what a mortgage is, you should probably go Google that before you watch this episode because a lot of things <laughs> gonna, might, might go over your head. So we have none, none, none other than Mr. Vincent Turner. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the CEO, the founder, the innovation officer of You Know Home Loans. What's going Ooh. on? How are you? Um, I'm doing well. Um, thank you for having me here today, which is kind of fun. I think it's just going to be great fun. I'm really I think so too. I think yeah. I'm proud of pub for it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm actually not the CEO anymore. So I, wa- I was the CEO. That's one of the joys when you are the founder. You can call that shot. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, as you said, focused on innovative kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. doing a bunch of other stuff too. Mm. What Maybe does that mean by innov- innovative, like, um, kind of stuff look it actually was a problem we found two years in after a lot of kind of you know about throwing shit at walls if i have to be honest uh that we weren't differentiated enough Mm. like if you you use the word digital mortgage service or we were calling ourselves an online mortgage broker and everyone was like cool but 
you know, I talk to my current broker on the phone and I use email. That, that's online, isn't it? Like, how is it any mm-hmm. fucking different and why does that matter? Yeah. And what it required was to go, we got to invent something that doesn't exist in the current paradigm and make that so unique that people like, oh, I, whatever that is, I want that. Yeah. And my role about a year and a half ago was focused on coming up with uh, some innovations that would set us apart from a broker other than just being online, which just wasn't enough. Mm. Um, and that, that was basically the insight that was most people in the industry, banks, brokers, everyone, just focused on the customer getting a loan as opposed to the person who has a loan. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you focus on the person who has a loan, well, what do they need? They need a whole bunch of stuff that no one's giving them. And there's 5 million people who have loans, so suddenly your market's huge because there's only half a million people who need a loan, mm-hmm. but the other half have one, you know, the other 95% or whatever. Um, and so that, that rethink of our positioning and then technology that supported that idea was kind of the innovation, if you like, yeah. in that context. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's such an important thing that you said, because like, what about the people that have a loan? Like we take out these commitments for like 30 years like, right. for the rest of our lives. So like, what happens then? What do we do? What's the experience like? Right. And I think I saw one of your videos you were talking about, how come the, one of the things you were talking about when you were coming to your value proposition, you're like, how come the broker has a screen but the customer right. doesn't? Yeah. And I think that was like, just a massive like, aha, like why doesn't it happen? Why it actually does- came out of a focus group. Yeah. Someone in a focus group, well, there's two really interesting insights in the focus group we ran. They were different ones, but they these two ones stuck. One was like, the guy was like, I don't, I don't get it. I, why does he get a screen and I don't get a screen? I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> write that one down. <laughs> I think I know what you're saying. That's good. <laughs> and then the other one was a lady who said, I just want to, I just want to wave a magic wand and be on the best line. I'm like, well, wouldn't we all? But then yeah. ultimately that's actually what the customer did want. They're like, I don't. I, the reason I'm on a shit loan is because I don't want to deal with this shit. Can yeah. I spare? I don't know. Yeah, yeah of okay, course. Great. I mean, you've already done it like two or three times. Oh, I just figured you'd be. A couple of those in. Yeah. <laughs> I, fig- I figured you'd be raising eyebrows if it was a problem. Yeah, yeah, no. But yeah, like her, her take was like, I don't. Like, this idea of a lazy tax is because we don't want to, like, it's not fun. No one mm. gets up and goes, hey, you want to see my loan? How good is it? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Look at this, check out this loan I bought last weekend, you know? <laughs> like it just doesn't happen. And so people are like, you, you deal with it. You give me a button and I want to see it. That's the transparency yeah. thing, right? But I don't want to do the work. Mm-hmm. I want you to take care of it all the time. In fact, we changed our like description of the business to this idea of an active home loan manager, which is you've got to keep an eye on this stuff and you won't, so give it to us and we will. And the innovation was building tech to support that idea. Mm. A monitor, basically a monitoring. We built a thing called Loan Score that doesn't even matter if you got the loan with us or not. If you sign up to that tech, it continuously monitors your loan and mm. tells you whether you're on a good deal or not. And if you're not, you click a button and we take care of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, you still have to go through the mortgage process, so we haven't managed to digitize all that yet, but we will. Mm. Um, But someone's mental model is, I have a loan, someone's keeping an eye on it for me, and I don't have to be that person. Certainly not the bank, right? Bank's not ringing you up saying, hey, you want a better deal? No, of course not. Most brokers leave it a couple of years, and then they talk to you, and good brokers will do this anyway, but it's heaps nicer when you've got a bit of tech helping you do it. Mm. 100%. 100%. So do you have customers that are just perpetually going through refinancing if things are changing or um, how it, often? What's the- I mean, we're, I think customers today on average refi about every four or five years. Okay. And I think that should be – it shouldn't be that long, right? I don't, but we're not like pushing to, you know, get the customer to change. In fact, half of the – when we launched this proposition, there's two things we launched. The first was the loan score technology and the other thing was a offer – to the customer, if you want to stay with your current bank, we'll help you get a better deal from your current bank, even if we didn't write the loan. And we're not even getting paid for that at the moment. 
and customers love it. So we're not always about saying, hey, need, you need to change because that would help us because that's how we get revenue. We actually, most half of our deals now or customer outcomes are the customers staying with the current bank, just getting a decent deal from yeah. their bank. You know, and so yeah, I, think, I think the idea of churning, if you like, I think is not, it's not necessarily what the customer wants either. Mm-hmm. You know, most people don't want to leave their bank. It's a pain in the butt. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if you're getting a good deal, you're like, I don't need to get the best deal. I just need to make sure I'm not getting ripped off. Yes. hundred percent. I want to kind of flip this and I want to start yeah. this by, because obviously we spoke a lot about, you know, yep. doing incredible things there. You're really leading the way. But I want to talk to you, Vincent, like since doing all these incredible things in your life, yeah. Um, what has been your biggest learning since this point? Yeah. And- now knowing what you know at the moment, what's been the biggest regret that you've had? Oh, that's a good one. Okay, biggest learning. I think, I mean, uh, so I've, I've been just very small amount of context. So I've been effect, an entrepreneur for 20 years. Mm. I dropped out of university to start a tech company. I never went back. I've never had a job interview. I've never had a resume. Mm. So I've always had my own company and they've always been venture funded. Mm. But it wasn't until, you know, um, in 2016, where we raised a lot of money and went from four people to 70 people mm. um, very quickly, like in the space of five months. Oh, and wow. Whoa. that's awesome, but a f- 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 fucking clusterfuck, excuse my language, but it really is challenging. It's challenging to bring on people. And I think, you know, learning, one of the biggest learnings for me over that period was the – uh, the the hard learning of hiring good people and knowing how to hire. Mm. And I was blasé. My basic take on hiring was, you want to work here? Awesome. I want people who want to work here. Mm. And that was as much, really as much thought went into it. And it kind of worked in a way because mm. if you sell a big story and you can attract good people, then you do get some good people. But being good at managing people and getting rid of people who aren't the right fit culturally or aren't living up to performance or whatever was like a massive, massive learning um, so that would be sort of the biggest, big, I think the biggest learning I've had in the last 20 years. Mm. And I think you, you, take, you sort of have to be burnt to learn that, if you yeah. like. Mm. Um, in terms of biggest regrets, I don't know. That's a, I mean, I, I don't feel like I have personal regrets. Mm. I mean, I have this, um, this incident that happened. Well, incident's not even the right word. I was on a train stop that I used to catch from high school and there was this girl I really liked. And I was too much of a you know pussy to ask her out. <laughs> I could be honest, and, and I never did. And um, and she was cool. She was such a cool chick. And anyway, so we're standing on this um, train stop, and the school dance or whatever's coming up. And uh, she said, um, "She's like, you know what? No one's asked me to the dance." And my response was, "Oh, someone will ask you." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know what? The thing was, I didn't didn't flip at the time at all. And then, like about fifteen years later, I was like, "Ah, oh, shit!" <laughs> so I don't know if it's a regret, but I'm like still thinking about that moment, going, "Ah, oh, Jesus oh, Christ!" Yeah. <laughs> what a dope. <laughs> so look, going through business twenty years, right? Like, yeah. First of all, before I go into my next question, sure. What does venture funded mean for people that don't know right like because yeah. people have a lot of ideas of what businesses are someone opens up their own right cafe or whatever. cafe or whatever right. and then you know call themselves a ceo yeah what do you what's it what's what's venture so funding? like there's i mean this idea of a startup you know can mean a lot of things now like oh, i'm gonna go and i'm doing a belt side project at the moment and someone go oh you belt startup i'm like oh, come on it's not really a startup i think that if i had to put a label on it, i don't know who coined this that's not mine i'm paraphrasing but they, they basically say it's a, it's a, um, uh, someone in search of a business model. You know, they've got a product and a proposition and they're clearly trying to do things a different way. So in the case of, you know, what you know is doing, where 
um, trying to get someone to do a high value, highly emotional, infrequent transaction with a new company in a different way. So that's risky by definition, like because there's a whole bunch of variables that just aren't known. And when you're doing that kind of thing, then you have to you have to experiment a lot, and therefore, <clears throat> to do that, you're typically not earning revenue for quite a while. Or if you are, you're not earning anywhere enough revenue to cover the staff and the marketing and all the stuff that you've got to do to even get some people in the door to see if you can work it out. And venture capital is the funding that says, I'll take that risk. Because if you do get it right, right, take Airbnb, a really good example. Yeah. We've got this idea, people will rent other people's houses while they're there, and they're going to have strangers into their home, and everyone will be like, Mm. No, <laughs> no one is coming to my home, and also I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to some random's home. Yeah. So that's what venture capital solves that problem. It says, well, someone works it out. Suddenly, you're going to be bigger than the Hilton, which Airbnb is now. Wow. wow. And so that's how venture capital sort of works. It's this high risk capital. Interestingly, though, the dynamic now is that because of the advent of data and being able to see everything, that I wouldn't say it's not. Risky, it is still risky, but you can get a much clearer sense much more early on as to whether this thing's working or not. Mm. And it used to be when you pitched a venture capitalist, you, you went in with a PowerPoint, you know, and said, here's my big vision, mm. you know, and people bought the vision. They bought the founder selling it or whatever, and they just went along for the ride. Now most investors, even very early on, are like, show me the data, show me the traction, mm. because they can. Yeah. So if... It, what's the risk in terms of for you as the company? If let's say, is there any risk for you? Like let's say if you, someone comes and buys 20% of your business right. um, and then you, it, it completely just sinks. Yeah. Are they, do you have to pay them back or no? That's no, it's, it's an investment. So it's okay. capital invested rather than a loan. Um, and look, the, I mean, it's a company structure. So unless you're, you know, negligent as a director, then you don't, you're not liable for the debts of the company. Specifically, you're liable if you trade insolvent, so you've got to have more money than you have debts, obviously. Um, but you, they, they take a risk. In the same way that if someone goes and buys Qantas stock in the middle of February mm. and they own it in the middle of April, that stock's worth 70% less or whatever it was. Mm. It's probably back now. That's the nature. You have an equity investment. And so th these, these investors tend to – their kill ratio, if you like their success ratio, is that they make 10 investments. Eight of them are like they probably wipe their money on. One of them probably returns that plus a little bit and one of them is 100x. Mm, one of them is wow. an Uber, you know. Wow. And the fund is returned based on getting one out of those 10 bets right because it's a swing for the fence. It's totally disrupted an industry, whatever. That's how venture typically works in the US. Um, it's a little bit – there's definitely some companies like that here in Australia as well in terms of VC funds or mm. venture funds. Um, but, yeah, you do, as the entrepreneur, you don't, you don't have – you absolutely have the obligation and the stress as an entrepreneur mm. is you've got people's money. You know, when Westpac handed us tens of millions of dollars in 2016, like I learned the lesson I learned, with great money comes great accountability. Mm. You just lose your mind over this stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, because you could never be doing enough. Yeah. You could, like, I could be doing more. I could be working harder, yeah. working smarter, challenging people more. Your brain doesn't stop. It's massively destructive. It's incredibly difficult. That's crazy. That's so many yeah. Careful what you wish for with that. Like, yeah. like, oh, you got all this funding. I'm like, have you seen me lately? I've got twitches and shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of brings on to my next question, right? Because sure. I feel like in this society, this day and age that we're in at the moment, there's this kind of like false perception of what success actually looks like. Right. I think a lot of people got the notion that, you know, in order for me to achieve happiness and fulfillment, I need to be successful. I need to have all this funding. I need to be right. like this guy. Right. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, like, obviously you've been where you are, accomplished what you've accomplished. Like, want to firstly ask you, like, at what point 
were you like, okay, I'm finally happy? And if not, when did it come to a point that you're like, you know what, this is something that I want to kind of strive for? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's, it's a two parts to the question as well. I think there's a measure of success. Mm. And I think, I don't know, my attitude to success is, well, I, I don't feel successful. Mm. Do you know? I feel like I've done some cool stuff. Yeah. Sure. But some of the cool stuff I've done has nothing to do with my success, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you know, we were talking before the show about DJing at Burning Man. That was cool. And that <laughs> yeah. makes me happy that yeah. I've done that stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was it was like, it was a successful moment in a way in terms of my, my own existence on the on the planet. Um, but for me, happiness was a diff- was a different kind of thinking. Um, I remember sitting in a boardroom at about twenty eight, and uh, the company that was my effectively my first company, but it sort of evolved, and we were a mortgage application. And about ninety percent of the Australian banks were, you know, using the technology, and about 40 percent of the, you know, we're doing about fifty billion a year through this platform. So by any measure, external measure, you'd go that business is successful. It was revenue positive, and it, it, the unit itself made money, but the larger business because we bought some other crap didn't. And then I had this kind of moment in the board meeting where I was like, honestly, if we're successful, this is what happens. People get a faster home loan. That's it. Banks make more money. They're the two two outcomes. Like, mm. who gives a sh- – like, I'm not enthused by this idea. Mm. And at that point, I realized I wasn't happy in Sydney and I wasn't happy because I was in the wrong business with the wrong people solving the wrong problem. I was in traffic every day. Mm. And the, the trigger to happiness wasn't I'm looking for happiness. It's I need to take the things away that make me unhappy. And that's been my mantra for happiness ever since, which is if I don't like doing something, I just – like I stopped doing it and now I'm happier with the absence of that thing. Yeah. I don't have to search for it. Yeah, shit. That's mm. really profound. Yeah. Can I, I, oh, yeah, no, sorry. I'm just saying that's like <laughs> – I just want to take a second because that's really profound because a lot of people, the whole kind of – you know, the whole rhetoric is on the search for happiness. Yeah. Yeah. What's, you know, how do I find happiness? How do I find happiness in this? Find happiness in your job. Find happiness in that. And it's like, shit, maybe just drop your job. Stop doing doing stuff that pisses you off. Exactly. You know, like, I don't know what that is. For me, I don't like being in traffic, right? Mm. And so I live near my work. You know, I have a scooter because the scooter is the most efficient way for me to get from my work to my, you know, home and back. Mm. Because there's a bus lane Mm. and I can go the same speed as traffic, but I'm never in traffic. Yeah. Scooter, by the way, is epic. No, virtually no fuel, no parking. You know, no, (laughs) you can do it. Like, scooter takes everything you hate about the road and turns it into something you love about the road, by the way. Um, Yeah. So I think, I, I think the happiness is definitely the absence of those things. Yeah. Wow. I really love how you like when you were just going on to battle, you're talking about I don't like my job and I don't like traffic. Like it's just these minor things, these little minor triggers that all add up. You're like, you realize like it's all these annoying things that I try to look at it like big picture, but we never really take the opportunity to actually look at like the minor things that actually play a role in this. And I think that once we actually start doing that and having more of this kind of like reflective kind of viewpoints in our life, then we're going to realize that there's a lot of shit, not just big scale, but right. actually contributing towards my. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you can, you can deal with most of those frictions. Yeah. Do you know, like if you're not sleeping properly, like I used to have a theme for my years, every year would be like the, the-, the year of sleep. It wasn't that I slept all year. It was that I spent the year thinking about how am I going to get good at sleeping? If I don't sleep properly, I'm not going to be a functioning human being. I'm not yeah. going to be happy. I'm going to put on weight. Like there's a whole bunch of, they don't need to invent the science, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you spend a year exploring this thing and you get better at doing this thing. And to get better at sleep, usually you have to take stuff away. Yes. Stop having devices in your bedroom. Yeah. You know, understand your sleep patterns, do more exercise, eat better, change the, the motion and the cadence of your day. Right, and then you get better at sleeping. You take things away to get better at sleeping. You don't mm. go in and go, fuck, all right, I need to be better at sleeping. You know? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> 
And I think that <clears throat> what I want to ask you, this is like a sure. personal thing, because I'm actually curious myself. Like I'm kind of like what Ben was saying, like I'm just kind of on that journey trying to find like my inner fulfillment and my yeah. happiness and really trying to understand like oh, a lot of these external things that I value, I love it, but it's not really bringing me the joy. So how do you make that decision to be like, even though I know this thing that I love isn't serving me towards like my happiness and my fulfillment, how do I make that decision to let it go? Yeah, that's for a, my happiness. I, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, I think the, the, there's a problem with being, you know, I hate the label entrepreneur, but being someone who's, you know, trying to do their own thing mm. uh, is that you, you're not very good at letting things go because you're like the eternal optimist. Yeah. Mm. I can totally make this thing work. Yeah. You know, like I, to give you a good example, I've found myself in Bulgaria with no money, no co-founder, no product, no return ticket on my birthday and I'm still like, I can totally make this work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was like some amazing race yeah. where like, oh, we've lo- we lost that. Remember, we're on our way, we're eliminated. We're in Kenya. Of course. Where were we? Were? <laughs> no, you were You were in the Kenya airport. Oh, I think so. Well, I think so that we'll get eliminated. No, 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 we're in Kenya. What? Dude, we never went to we Kenya. Are, <laughs> I was like, which race are you on, big fella? <laughs> and we're just like, oh shit! Like we lost everything. We have oh, no yeah. money. Like, fuck, how are we gonna get back home? Oh uh, yeah. And tell that story because I feel like we don't know that story. Tell that story. Uh, well, this is kind of like I don't want to tell a story because I was gonna be like typical Nick and Femi. No, no, no let's tell. I want to hear. Boycott Kenya Airways, bro. Yeah. Oh, this is an air- airplane. This is an airplane. Ah, <laughs> uh, cool. So we came off. Imagine like we just got eliminated. They're like, ah, oh, cool, bro. All the best later. So we're on our way back from Malawi. Right. We change over at Kenya Airways. We had like three hours or something. We get something to eat. All right. We go to the we go to the the gate. Let's pretend just for um just for story's sake, the gate the plane was meant to leave at midday. Right. Right. We get there at eleven thirty. There's no one really in the line or whatever, right? We're like, oh yo, have you guys started boarding? They're like, no, no, no. Your flight starts boarding in an hour. Right. This girl looked at my ticket right. and said, <laughs> my my flight boards in an hour. It's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. We're half asleep. We're like, whatever. We'll come back in a bit, right? We sit around the corner. Like, mm-hmm. I'm telling like, literally from me to you, yeah. we yeah. sit around the corner. <laughs> for an hour. For, no, no, not even for an hour. Because we're like, that doesn't make sense what she said. I right. know that my flight leaves at midday. Right, right, right. So we're there chilling for like 20 minutes, whatever, half, 15 minutes. We're like, nah, that doesn't make sense, man. <laughs> This is an international flight. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make sense. We go back there. The plane's still there. I can see the plane. All right. I can see people get, getting into the gate, going through the the the, um, the, the doors. All right. I'm like, oh, yo, like, surely the plane's got to, surely you're, you're, it's <laughs> yeah. leaving now. All right. She goes, yeah, it's left. <laughs> <laughs> the same girl goes, yeah, it's like left. Like, no, deadpan. Dead, just straight. I, oh, yeah, totally left. Yeah, it's gone. The you're the guy closed. was here half an hour ago, right? Yeah, <laughs> your plane left. <laughs> like, it's left. The plane's gone. We're not um, we're not taking you in. The gate's closed. I'm like, you are the biggest idiot on this earth. I can see <laughs> the plane right there. So you just let someone in and you've just put the bullards there. Yeah, yeah. I know I can go through. Like, here's my ticket. She goes, no, my friend. <laughs> no, my friend. We called you many times. I'm like, shut up, bro. Yeah. I was right around the corner. And then the lady's like, yeah, I saw them right around the corner. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. We're having an argument, argument, argument. It's like, okay, look, regardless of it, it became like, did you come or didn't we come? It's like, look, regardless of if we came or not, 
Let me on the plane, bro. Like, I, yeah. I can see someone. Still like, there. Yeah. He's still there. Like, I can see someone. I'm waving at the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't even closed the gate. Like, they haven't even closed the door. There's someone, like, still waiting to get on the actual plane. I'm like, please, just let me go through. It's like, no, you will not make it. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> For me, I, I can't even explain this. So, like, five meters yeah. was the difference, the distance. Like, she just closed that black. You know, like, the yeah, yeah, the, the little thing. The little thing. The thing. Yeah. Just like the, the, the thing that says, oh, you definitely can't <laughs> yeah. go into that place. <laughs> that, that red rope. <laughs> the impossible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, anyway, 15 minutes goes past, and we actually see the plane take off. Oh, man. We're stuck in Kenya with no phone, no internet, <laughs> no money, no nothing. No, nothing. Nothing. I love it. We were meant to just go on that. We had that one ticket. That's fun. Nick starts crying. I <laughs> cry. Nick, Nick is so his, angry. His version of a cry. He's like, no, no. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> we went to every single like information desk, every help desk. Everyone's like, <laughs> Sorry, too bad. Yeah, they said, "Oh, go talk to her." I'm like, "That's the same idiot yeah. that didn't let me on the plane." I told me that my plane was leaving in an hour. Anyway, so we go through every single person. Nobody's letting us on. This idiot goes, "Oh, you're gonna have to wait 24 hours until the next shift," because that was their last flight for the day. Right, right. You have to wait for only their that uh, that airline <laughs> might be able to get you on another plane. Idiots. Yeah. Anyway, um, so no, no one was letting me on. No one was letting us on the plane. We ended up asking some guy, like, can we make a couple phone calls? Because remember, we had the sheet right. that we could be potentially call um the person that booked the flight. And this guy's like, nah, I can't give you my phone. I'm like, why? I'm watching cricket. <laughs> He oh, wanted to punch you in the mouth. <laughs> and we're like, yo, did you hear what I said? I can't get home. I'm in Kenya. Yeah. And I want to go back to Sydney. Sorry for your cricket game. You realize, you realize it's a slow game, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Nothing will happen in the next three minutes. minutes. <laughs> and it's one of those things. It's so hard to explain. It's like, well, why don't you have a phone? And it's like. Ah, uh, come uh, on, man. I was on this thing. You heard of this thing? <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> and then one of them was like, uh, one of the ladies was like, oh, yeah. You might want to go talk to security, right? Which means that we have to leave the airport. Oh, that's out of the frying pan. <laughs> yeah, get a get a visa. Yeah, <laughs> to see security that might let you yeah. come in back in. So you right. could go there, get a visa, and be stuck in Kenya. And, and, and now not, you're in Kenya. <laughs> you can't go. You there. managed to immigrate to solve this problem. <laughs> but eventually, we found this lady that let us use her Instagram, and we messaged and called everybody. We got in contact with the producers of the show. Oh. Oh, um, only took us what five hours five hours five six hours we're in this airport we caught the last flight out of um of kenya going towards that direction that day it was the craziest experience it. ever that's like the ultimate troll you know like the, the ultimate, ultimate troll, troll is to say hey you're, you're totally plane leaves in an hour i'll see you in 20 minutes <laughs> but oh, sorry it's gone it's gone <laughs> i'm sorry did i say it was leaving in an hour i mean it's gone <laughs> <laughs> potato gone <laughs> 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 safe safe Oh, uh, uh, that's the way to describe that whole story, oh, no. man. Honestly, what a what, what a, a L, what a L. Wow, I've actually just lost in that story. Um, but look, I can't remember why we were brought it up. To be honest, it, it doesn't matter. It was a great story. It's anyway. a great story. But I want to ask you. Let's get back on track. Yeah. Vinny, <clears throat> Vin, VT, Big V, whichever one, <laughs> all, uh, of all of them. So I want to ask you, man. Like back on a bit more of a not so serious, but like mm. a, a real question, right? Yeah. Everybody knows, and we ask this to every entrepreneur, every every person that's doing it. Everybody knows being an entrepreneur makes no sense. Yep, in a in way. To, in terms of like, it could be so much easier in terms of ease. 
Yeah. It could be easier to get a nine to five, whatever, yeah. right? When has been a time where you've been so mentally fatigued mm. that you've really, have you ever actually, have you ever really just considered packing up and just going to be, because um, you could walk into any place really and be a CEO today. Yeah, you could get a job yeah. for sure. So I, has there ever been a time where you've been so mentally fatigued by yeah. your lifestyle that you were really seriously considering just sacking it? And if so, can you tell us about that time frame? What was it and what actually got you to that point? Yeah, I mean, there's probably two. The, that Bulgaria thing was like a low point um, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I just watched a bunch of TED Talks and got through it and just picked myself up. And um, that, was a good, that was a good learning, to be honest. And it was kind of a low point for the company, but it wasn't mentally a low point for me. It was like, all right, this is, this is what you train for, right? This is what you expect. Yeah. The, 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 the you know experience in the last four years <clears throat> basically had uh, – because we grew so quickly, most of the problems that were inherent on a day-to-day basis were – people related mm. people and performance and those things manifest pretty quickly and if you don't know how to deal with them and you don't have people who know how to deal with them and are dealing with them well then they start to kind of snowball uh and what we were trying to do at you know in the first two years was to build the plane and fly the plane at the same time mm. and and the people challenges made that infinitely harder and like if something's a technical challenge you can just code around it right if something is a uh, uh, like a marketing challenge, you can iterate and you can work it out. But the people things take a lot of time mm. and they're unstable, they're unusual. So this, and I didn't know how to deal with them, right? We talked before about kind of the biggest learnings. This, that really started to make it very difficult for me. Mm. And because of the funding that we'd raised, we actually had a real challenge, right? We had a real challenge in terms of how do we solve these problems? Because we, you know, there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of people saying, you've got to make this thing work. We've given you lots of money, make it work. And startups don't work like that, you know. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta build a system to uncover the problem. Um, and so, you, it's not that you can't force them. You can always go faster. You can always do things faster. Um, and so, I found that period of my life, which was like two years ago, the, the oh, clearly wow. the most stressful thing I've ever done. Like beyond most stressful. I was working ninety hours a week. I wasn't sleeping at all. I would, I would go to bed at ten o'clock at night so tired that I'd fall asleep straight away only to wake up at 2 a.m. and then not be able to get back to sleep because my brain is back on again, wow. right? I was sleeping at the office to, to like in between meetings because I was so fucked and so tired and I, and I wasn't at all happy. I was starting to put on weight. You know, I wasn't, I was not happy in my life at all. Um, and and it, the only way th- you know to get over it is to, to go through it. And I think to your question of, you know, do you ever consider packing up? At that point, you just start to go, why? Like, why am I doing this? Mm. You know, like I, I want to impact the world and I want to change things, but I don't want to kill myself in the process. Yeah, you know, and I, I mean, I I don't know that I seriously contemplated suicide, but you absolutely go, I just I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, you know, and I think part of the challenge when it's people related as well is that, you know, it <clears throat> you've got to. When you have a people problem, the people who you're working with who are the problem, and that you might be part of that problem as well, and you know everyone has their faults, and I've certainly got mine. Um, it you can't solve those problems because the people are the problems, you know, yeah. you know, and that that makes it even tougher to solve, and you don't know how to solve it, and so people get desperate and they do different things and they cut across each other's lines, and you know then it it sort of goes from there. So it became super super stressful, um, and I think at that moment I was pretty kind of like I just don't need to be here and. It took for two or three people who were in the business who were parts of those conflicts to no longer be in the business for some of those problems to disappear. Mm. And ultimately, I was happy to, to step out of the CEO role 
um, and still happy that I'm not a CEO. I, was, I welcomed going and getting someone who had had dealt with those challenges and who understood those challenges and understood people and performance much, much better than I did. And in fact, I now have a really good relationship with the CEO. We work incredibly well together. Uh, he's doing amazing work in the business and I'm learning a huge amount. If I went through that again today, I'd be, I, I, don't, I wouldn't have the same stress. Yeah. You know? I, don't know, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, right. it definitely does. I want to know a little bit more about this Bulgaria story though. Like how did this, <laughs> how did this kind of like, what were you doing in Bulgaria? How did you, like, oh, what, what's, the, what's the, what's the so, I um so what happened was I was in San Francisco. I moved to San Francisco in 2010 or well, 9 but then I moved there full time in 2010. Um I had virtually no money to my name. I had about 30 grand in total. I'd walked away from my previous startup, didn't get a cent out of it. And I went there and I was going to study industrial design and I got there and a friend or now friend who who was potentially going to invest in that previous company was like you need to go and do tech again. You left Sydney because you hated the business and hated what you were doing, you were solving the wrong problem, the wrong people, that stuff I mentioned earlier. But you're in, you're in like, you know, if you're an actor, you go to LA. If you're in tech at the time, you go to San Francisco. It's like the center of the world. And I think that might've evolved a bit now. And so I went there with this idea of, oh, I'm going to do industrial design and decided, you know, I'm just going to start another startup. I didn't have a lot of money and I didn't, I'm not a coder. So I had the first thing you have to do in the Valley, if you're going to get any recognition and funding is you need a technical co-founder. So I went and found a guy who had been introduced to me and about three months in, he decided he didn't want to do it anymore. So I've, I've already spent a bit of time and money with him. I take the last of the assets I have and I use it to buy him out because I don't want him as a shareholder. Mm. And so, you know, I've now got no money and a guy who I'd met in uh, Banff drinking, you know, and I'd stayed in touch with, he's like, Hey, he had been sort of seeing my progress and he's like, hey, look, if you, if you want to move this thing forward, I've got engineers in Bulgaria. Um, why don't you fly to Bulgaria and we'll, we'll get it coded? Because I'd somehow managed to blag my way into this big conference. Um, and so I'd said I'll be on stage in seven weeks to, to showcase technology that's not yet built and I've just lost my co-founder. Oh, right, wow. So the guy building it and the money to make it happen have both disappeared. And he's like, just go to Bulgaria. We've got engineers there and we, we won't – we'll – we'll get them to do the work and then we'll take an equity stake for doing that. <clears throat> I'm like, that's awesome. So I fly to Bulgaria, I get a one-way ticket because I can't afford a return ticket. Um, and I get to Bulgaria and in the four days or whatever that it takes me to buy that ticket and land in Bulgaria, which is like the 8th of August and my birthday's on the 10th of August, um, the markets into that 2010 or 11, 2011, they dropped like 20% or something. Like it was just the tail end of the GFC just sort of shitting itself for the second time. And we get there and the guy's like, cool, well, you've, we've paid for your first week accommodation, but you're on your own after that and we're not investing the money because we're a bit spooked by the markets. I'm like, dude, I'm in fucking Bulgaria. Yeah. I don't have a return ticket. Like, I can't get home. And uh, I went and met with the engineers and for, for whatever reason, the engineers are like, well, we're still happy to do the work, but we're happy to take payment, you know, at the like in six weeks' time. Like, uh, we'll invoice you in four weeks' time and then after that. And so I talked to a bloke back in Perth and said, hey, and I met him at a festival just before I left Perth to go to San Francisco. Like, I didn't really know him that well, but he used to live in the valley. He's like, yeah, startup, man, it's super awesome. Like, I need, I just need 14 grand to pay these engineers and to get on stage at this conference. If you, if it doesn't work out, if I can't get to that stage, I'll leave all this behind. I'll come back to Perth. I'll work a normal job and I'll give you your money back. And he became the first investor in PlanWise. And that's how I ended up in Bulgaria with this, gun-toting landlord who pulled a fucking gun on me, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different story we're going to cover tonight. That, that's for sure. <laughs> but that, that, that was it. I ended up there with no product, no co-founder, no money, no return ticket, and I'm supposed to be on stage in New York in seven weeks' time. And somehow, like, I mean, that's a low point, but it, it's good theatre too, right? Yeah. But the bloody landlord. So this guy, 
<laughs> I mean, he he was he was such a character. He he lived next door, and he had he had a place that he rented and one that he lived at. And he comes, he lets me into the apartment, and he's like, he's showing me everything. He's super proud of this apartment. You know, he's he's like a mercenary from the eighties. He was a mercenary in, in Africa, I think, oh, in wow. the eighties, and he was a gnarly motherfucker. Like, have you remember the Goonies? You remember yeah, that film? Yeah. Like the big guy in the Goonies, like kind of he had yeah. that kind of vibe going yeah. on. And he was lovely, but he was like you could tell he'd. He's seen shit. Anyway, so he comes in and he's like, this is microwave. This is how it works. This is tap. This is how it works. I'm like, dude, I'm, I know how all these things work. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And we go into the bathroom. He goes, now, when you have prostitute, you make sure you kick her out or she robbed me. I'm like, what do you mean when I have prostitute? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm here. I'm done. That's not. He goes, okay. He keeps going. And he says, you have any problems? You come see me. I'm heavily armed. I'm like, all right, cool. Good to know. Good to, good to know. Okay, that's fine. So at the end of the week, remembering I don't have any accommodation, I've run out of money. I get my parents to send me some money for my birthday. I don't want to tell them what's going on. I'm just like, hey, I just did this in Europe. And they usually send me like a couple of hundred bucks. And I'm like, so I go around and I've got a hundred euros to pay for another week's accommodation with this crazy fucking Bulgarian. And I go in and he's got like this big table, guns everywhere. He wasn't joking. His house is full of guns. He's next door to where I'm living. And he puts me in a chair and he's already, the, the chair's kind of sunk. So he's in the big chair. Mm. And I'm like in the chair down, kind of this kind of thing. And there's this kind of power move thing going on. He's a big guy too. And then he opens a drawer and just sticks a fucking, like a magnum or something, I don't know, guns, but he sticks a big ass gun on the counter and just starts stroking the barrel of this gun. And he's like, I want you to know what happens if you run away without paying me. I'm like, dude, I've got, I, got your money here. And he's like, he's just trolling the shit out of me. He's not serious at all. He's like, yeah. he's just having a fuck. I'm like, holy shit, man. How the fuck did I end up here? <laughs> Not what you'd expect in a startup story. At all. At all. <laughs> Do you know what's funny though? Because years later, people like, you know, when people come into a company, they're like, here, they only see from their moment forward. Yeah. And, I don't know, and I'm like, I'm the guy who slept on a couch for two years earning $400 a month, right? Wow. When I was in San Francisco, I didn't have a salary. I had $400 a month to live on, effectively. I had 1100 for rent and 400 to live to eat. I lived with a food photographer, so that helped. I'm the guy who had the gun pulled on him. You didn't have any of these things, right? So don't forget how we got here kind of thing, right? So anyway, you bury all that shit. (laughs) Holy shit. Good times. Haven't had that for a while. That's uh, It's ridiculous, man. Like, wow. I don't even know what to say because that's a crazy story. Like I've uh, heard a lot of crazy (laughs) stories. Never a a Bulgarian um, ex-mercenary pull a massive gun on him. But yeah, what are you going to do? Maybe we need to get a crazy story too. You know, people always tell us like, but it's all about the journey. It's all about this, that. Right. Maybe we need to get a crazy but story. But we've had a couple of crazy stories. Trust me. Trust yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just not suitable for air. Just yeah, exactly. Oh, you know what? Trust me. Facts. Trust me. Facts. Trust me. Trust me. Like I feel you. like we're not having enough noises. Oh, sorry. Um, wait, wait. This one's... Uh, Bonjour now. <laughs> 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 that classic uh, like Brad Pitt line. Is that what yeah. that is? I don't it's know. from <laughs> Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> I feel like that's it. I don't know. I Nick, you know what, bro? We, yeah, tell us a quick story about some some of the crazy shit you've been through in this journey. Because we're on our own journey in terms sure. of like entrepreneurship and being on that journey. What's the psychology? What's the story that you can tell us about about the psychology of what it takes to be you know to weather these storms? Oh, the psychology. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, look, honestly, but nothing comes to mind. I can't really think of what, eh? That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. 
Nah, no <laughs> club. <laughs> Anyways, back on track, back on track, back sure. on track. So I want to talk about coping mechanisms, yep. right? Because mm. I think a lot of the times, like we, everybody needs to have a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. whether, whether you're in a high stressful role or whatever it is that you're doing, there needs to be something for you to be able to fall back on to be like, let me put me back in like my Zen state. Let me yep. get, you know, feel a bit more aligned. What's your coping mechanism and how important is it to you that you follow and adhere with those mechanisms that you have in place? Yeah. Um, and I, like I'm kind of new to this part of the equation. Mm. I think until you get put under immense stress and I didn't, the stuff in Bulgaria, by the way, wasn't that stressful. I think mm. at that age, I didn't have any kind of, I didn't have a lot of funding. I didn't have a lot of people I felt stressed about. I just yeah. was in a weird situation. Um, but in the last two years, I've been under considerable stress, as I sort of mentioned. And so there's two, two parts to it to me. There's the bit where you're in the moment. How do you, cope in that moment yeah. um, and that's the bit I haven't really worked out I wouldn't say I'm a fiery person but I also don't I don't I don't like I'm gonna say I don't like bullshit mm. like if there's a problem let's let's work out the problem right I don't want to I don't want to attack you I don't want to feel like I'm being attacked yeah and if someone if I feel like someone is attacking me like no one wants to be threatened and if and, if, and I'm terrible at it. if someone's threatening me not like you know like I'm going to do something bad to you but they're being aggressive in how they're doing it and they think that you're part of the problem or they're you know they're, they're, there's, there's there's an aggression that's happening in trying to resolve an issue like not it's not a safe space if you like mm. I'm not very good at coming back from that and I, and I don't know the coping mechanism for that yet and I don't I feel like I'm better at it now because I just try not to rise to it yeah. um but I'm not I'm not good at it. I, I have to be honest um but I'm, but I'm a hundred, like, I, it doesn't usually get into that. Most people know that they can be very, very direct with me and that I'm not going to take it personally if we're talking about the issue. But if we're questioning whether I'm, like, involved in trying to fix it and, like, there's doubts about that, then that, that feels like a threat and that's a challenge. But I think the, the main thing is the other part, which is all the stuff you do when you're not in the moment. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's the bit where I have actually got, a, a lot clearer and a lot better at understanding how to be good at that. Um, and look, I think a lot of them are kind of cliche. I think exercise is a good one. Mm. Um, I'm not great at exercise. I've, I've, I've worked out that exercise is similar to me like the scooter. It's proximity-based. I now have a chin-up bar in my house because that way I can go all the time. Mm. I can't make any excuse and then I'm doing it every day. So I'm doing chin-ups and push-ups every day and that's about as much exercise as I do, but it keeps you kind of clear. Mm. Um, guided meditation is probably the number one thing for me. Mm. Um, and it's a sleep thing. So there's a, uh, I'll give a shout out to the guy. There's a guy called Jason Stevenson on YouTube and it's a, it's all free. Obviously it's on YouTube and I don't, for some reason you don't really get, like you get one ad at the start maybe, but then it goes for three hours. Yeah. I'm probably listening to that two or three nights a week. Um, because it, it gets me to sleep and then it like, it, it means that I can, you know, have a good night's sleep. Mm. Um, I think that's good. I think diet's critical. You know, I think exercise is important, but diet is infinitely more important. Mm. Um, because it's just such a big factor in everything. I don't have a lot of sugar. Um, I don't drink at all pretty much during the week. I, I'm ha- I had a few whiskeys last night to be fair, but that was Friday. <laughs> um, so I'm okay with, I'm not, I'm not, not a drinker. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I think, I think a lot of these things that you do to calm yourself down, are crutches. They're not real, mm. do you know? And I, I don't. I hate TV. I think TV is. I'm happy to watch something on a screen, but the idea that something's coming to you, these things. If you're doing that at nine o'clock at night, you're bloody stimulating your brain, mm. and you're not sleeping properly, right? And if you're not sleeping properly, how are you coping the next day? Exactly. You know, like if you ever gone, if you get up next morning and you're not fresh, and the first thing is you got to have a hard conversation with someone, or they need to have a hard conversation with you. Then, how are you going to be good in that moment? So mm. most of it is. You know, like it's like it's most of when someone plays in a team sport, right? If the, what they do during the week is what makes them win on the weekend. Exactly. You know, and I think that's what most of this stuff is. 
Um, and as I said, I have themes for my years. And, you know, the year of sleep was about learning about sleep. I had the year of the mind, which was about learning how minds work and work, how, how my mind works. Um, so I've tried, I've tried a bunch of things around that. I've done a lot of stuff around like taking all the devices out of the room. I'm actually off that a little bit at the moment. I don't, I don't feel like I need it. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're the kind of the main, the main things for me. I mean, nature's a good one as well. Um, but I think nature for me represents something different. It isn't a coping mechanism as much as a, um, an antidote. You know, which is, hey, if you've like two weeks ago, I, I knew that I needed to go and get some stuff out of my head, as in like some design stuff, some software stuff. And so I went to a tin shed, well, like a container, shipping container home in two hours out of Sydney, cool little place um, and no reception, you know, no other people. I didn't go with anyone and just slept and read and ate and then did all did this work. It wasn't really work. It was a creative output. And I think that's also critical. And that was about being out of the zone, out of the place and yeah. away from all of those inputs. And I think that antidote is important as well. I really love the way you put it, like in the moment and out of the moment, because I think those are so essential because when you're in the moment, that's when you have the awareness to be like, okay, I'm not really too good in this situation. Yeah. So like, okay, what can I do out of the moment to make sure that next time that happens, I'm, I'm well more equipped and well more prepared. And I loved how you brought in about team sport and teamwork because that's one of the big things that we always push we always say like yes. this whole mental health thing mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a team sport yeah you know we all have a role to play we all need to show up when no one's watching to be able to perform and execute when everybody's watching which i think is so important yeah i think that and there's an aspect of um and i like it's kind of cliche because it's done the rounds a bit but this mm. idea of vulnerability is i think important and yeah. psychological mm. safety yeah. and i had a really pivotal moment a lady who's worked with us for four years mm. And uh, I had a meeting with her and I was super frustrated. I was CEO at the time and I was super frustrated about progress that was being made in some thing. And I was having a kind of not a, not a heated conversation at her. Like I wasn't getting angry with her, but I was getting upset with the situation. Yeah. Um, but my energy levels that I'm putting out were like, come on, this is, you know. And she just looked me straight across the table and was like, this isn't psychological safety. And it took for her to, to throw it back onto me for me to realise, holy shit, I'm – I'm not making this better by being this person in this moment. Mm -hmm. And it was beautiful situational awareness from her. And it's, that has stayed with me now. And when I'm going into that place, I'm like, all right, is everyone in the room able to function? Because as soon as someone's up, everyone's up and then we're all fucked, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like it took for someone to, to call that out for me to like be better at it. Like I said, I'm having, I'm definitely not great at it i could be a lot better yeah <laughs> i don't know what it is i mean some people are like oh just take three breaths before you respond i mean my brain's blurry like right they're attacking me let's yeah, go yeah, you don't yeah, even have exactly. the time to think that thing because you yeah. go back to this brain right you're not in the front of your brain you're in your mm. reptilian bloody amygdala or whatever it is amygdala yeah, yeah amygdala, <laughs> thank you. and you're never going to get that right <laughs> yeah yeah no, that makes a lot of could, sense could be a lot better i, could, yeah. I, I, I don't know I've, i've met up with a friend for uh, for lunch yesterday And he does, all he does is mind training. Mm. He does resilience training. He's a fascinating guy. He should probably have him on the show. Uh, and he, you know, he, he teaches people how to, how to confront these moments and handle them, these moments. And I feel like I probably need to go and do that kind of thing. Mm. But fortunately, I think when you're in a, a team, like we've got a, an amazing team, you know, I love the people I work with. I like, I genuinely love these people. They're, in fact, one of the guys said to me yesterday, came into the office, he's like, I love you, man. Like most blokes don't say that to each other, but this yeah. is one of my employees. Like, yeah, I love you, man. I'm like, well, fuck yeah, that's fucking cool. I'm glad I feel the same way. This is super good. I think when you you have a team that's like that, it also means that you don't have too many of those moments. Mm. And so much of this is not having to have the moments in the first place. Mm. You know, and the last resort is when that shit does happen, you you're better at it. Mm. Uh, love that. 
That's amazing. I want to ask one final question before we kind of um, have lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one that we've kind of, um, it's more of a summary question, right? It's something sure. that's been the, the, the kind of like the premise of this whole kind of chat. If you could put down one thing, mm-hmm. one thing is the most important thing that you do or you've ever done mm-hmm. or you've ever been doing that's made the difference from being in a shitty situation in Bulgaria, making it not so bad, yep. stressful time two years ago, it's yep. okay. Yep. What is the one thing that you think has served you? Is it family, religion? Is it whatever it is? Like yeah. whatever, what do you think has been your kind of your cornerstone? Yeah, it's like my mantra on this stuff is that without awareness, it's hard to be everything else, right? And so if you're aware, you can be courteous, you can be diplomatic, you can be kind, you can show empathy. Like if you if you don't have awareness, then you can't do all those things because they require an awareness in the first place of what does this moment need or what's happening in this moment. And I think, I've, and I've always said this to people, you've got to start, you don't, no one opens a door for someone if they're not aware that the person's about to walk through a door. You know, and so like that, that for me has always been at the core of how to go into a moment. And a lot of the things that have served me really well in the business, generally not just in the mental state, but in just the productive state, is an awareness is required to understand patterns and abstractions of patterns. You know, no industry is solving a unique challenge, right? The industries in health and the industries in, you know, the, the issues in health and the issues in mortgages and the issues in education are abstractions of the same underlying problems, right? Getting people to change behavior, you know, finding ways to, to distribute a product, you know, all those kind of business problems you can break down into constituent parts. And if you have a really good awareness, you can, you can see the pattern. And you can take something that someone has done somewhere else and apply that to your situation. And if you don't have an awareness and to a degree of curiosity, then you, you just can't do that. And it's hard to be successful because you have to invent everything. And you shouldn't. Most problems have already been solved in another context. You just have to work out how to apply it to yours. Yeah. I got one. <laughs> that was, that was an incredible answer. Real talk, <laughs> yeah. real talk, real talk. And it's something that like... I've been working on as well. And I've really noticed when you were saying it, it's like, it's so true, bro. Like, unless you actually just let yourself, it's going to sound really, really woohoo, but it's yeah. like, unless you actually let yourself be and actually be in that moment and be present, mm-hmm. it's so easy just to react. Totally. It's so easy just to, like you said, someone's coming at you to come back. Right. Like that's just the way human beings are wired. You right. know what I mean? So unless you're able to really take the time to recognize, like you said, this person just needs to walk through this door. This yeah. person just needs a bit more support. We're just going to be that forever confrontational guy that's always in conflict. Why am I always in conflict? Right. Usually if you're always in conflict, you're, you're the problem. You're the conflict. Yeah, yeah exactly. totally. Exactly. I mean, I learned that the hard way through ex-girlfriends. Mm. She's always having issues with her friends. Oh, okay, that's you. You're the, you're the problem. Okay. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she can't say that, obviously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure I've been that guy too, so I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, man. Like, but I think that's amazing. I think that this, this chat's been unbelievable. Oh, I'm glad you guys like, like it. Super fun. So much wisdom, like, yeah, yeah. and so much insight. I feel like you just, you don't even realize it. A lot of the guests we come in don't even realize how insightful you are in your own space. Oh, and then it's like, it's, it just blows our mind and, you know. This is good fun. Yeah, it's good that I can come back and really just like, Relate to Nick and just. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, here's what he meant by that moment. <laughs> yeah. Timestamp thirty four minutes twenty seconds. Watch that. Let me let me mansplain that for you. I mean, I'm a man and you're a man, but we'll still mansplain it to you. 
<laughs> oh man, that stuff's kind of tough. This guy's a clown. You guys are awesome. <laughs> no, I appreciate that, man. So Let's do it. What we always do with every other podcast, with every podcast, I should sure. say, is that we wrap it up with a quick rapid fire. Okay. So these are short answers. Okay. Can ask you five questions. Okay. No explanation. Just first thing that comes to mind. Yep. And we pretty much get a kick in from there. So yeah. So it's one word, one sentence max. Radio. Got it. Favorite movie. Terminator Two. Oh. Ooh. Okay. Favorite travel destination? Oh, jeez. Uh, I actually don't know. That's a terror. I don't. I can't think of a favorite travel destination. Shit. Uh, no, I, I don't know. Christ Almighty, that's terrible. Burning Man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that, San Francisco? Uh, it's Nevada. It's like in the desert. Seven hours. Yeah. Shit. All right. Most important thing in your life. So not people, not pets, not electronics. Just like a sentimental thing. Well, I don't have it anymore, but it was my charger. It was my my favorite thing, like material thing, if that's what you're asking. Your charger? Yeah, my charger was a type of car. Oh, oh right. Well, I was like, I my phone, phone charger. charger. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, my charger, I love it. I, I had a charger that I don't own anymore. It was my second charger, and it was epic. Oh, dang. Why'd you get rid of it? Oh, we'll talk later. Sort of, uh, yeah. well, you asked him one more question. That's yeah. what you said. <laughs> <laughs> we always do this. We always give interesting answers. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> we want to know more. Uh, what's the most attractive quality in someone? Uh, intelligence. Mm. Yeah. And what's the number one tip or advice for life? Choose happiness. Just oh. like, just be. Like, don't, don't overthink it. Yeah. Yeah. Love, love that. that. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, that was incredible. Uh, super fun. Really appreciate you coming down. Absolutely. Just being just so open and honest and just like showing your good vibe. Because honestly, like and as soon as you came through the door, we're just like, oh, this is going to be such a great conversation. Yeah, the fun. vibes are good. And I think that that's going to really um, transpire to all the other um, consumers that are listening to our podcast. So I really just want to honor you, man. I really appreciate you showing up. Thank you. Woo. Thanks for me. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so for the people that you know want to connect with you a bit more a bit more interested in what you're doing because obviously like you were telling us there's a lot of incredible things that you're doing right yep. now how can people kind of connect how can they find out what you're doing how can they follow your path uh, you them to? I, I guess i mean i'm i'm not active really on social media that much but i'm on twitter um my handle there is vinaco like you might have to put that in the thing it's like a terrible handle because it's bloody hard to spell in america <laughs> yeah. can't pronounce it um I, I i have a podcast as well shape the system so yeah. just shape the system.org and you can reach me through there as well um but yeah just reach out i love talking to people randomly so get in touch yeah. amazing awesome and you guys know where to find us obviously at Nick and Femi for all your snippets or your love and just, you know, wanting to see my face a bit more. You, you know, you get to see that there. <laughs> That's crazy. We're not going to get any followers. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. That's why, why, you putting, this... why are you putting me on mute? Yeah, because it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, oh yeah, look, come, come look at my face. Oh, let's put that down. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, honestly, thank you so much, Vinay. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure, man. Honestly, it's been absolutely amazing. And yeah, that's we that. out. We out. That wraps it up. Thank you, everybody, for coming. It's been an amazing episode. Peace and love. <laughs>